I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can. There is no past, there's no future, there's just this moment right here. If I did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like, as a man, not just as, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's part of the deal. It's how I responded. Welcome to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. My name is Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset Rx and your host. Today on the show, I'm going to be bringing you an extract from our somewhat recent webinar we hosted with the one and only Khan Porter. So it was myself, Rachel, our head coach, and Khan discussing the RRP method and how to implement that in your mindset. At the point you're going to join this podcast, We'd already discussed the nervous system regulation piece. Rachel had gone into some awesome depth. And I was about to discuss at the end of this the performance piece, so how we translate this into workouts. But the piece that we're going to focus now on is Khan Porter's exploration of identity. And that identity is such a huge part in rewiring the story that you believe. So Khan's going to go into some awesome depth here. I'm going to kind of frame this. Rachel's going to jump in occasionally too with some insights that she has. And I really hope you get a lot from this. This was a paid webinar, but I wanted to put out a a portion of it um, just so that you could get a taste for what that's like and also learn from what Khan has to say. Like it's all well and good me talking about like all these parts of it um, or parts of mindset training. But to hear someone who's been to the top using the tools and techniques that we talk about, such as Khan, and who is a fantastic athlete, I think that adds some some gravitas to it. And also he speaks about it through a slightly different lens. So enjoy this, I suppose, conversation, this um, open discussion um, that Khan, Rachel and myself have had. And then if you've got any questions, if you want to learn more about mindset, hit me up on Instagram, which is at Tom Foxley, so T-O-M-F-O-X-L-E-Y, or find us as our business page, MindsetRx, which at MindsetRxD, and let's get on with the show. Yeah, yeah, there's such an influence, like it's this two-way conversation that's constantly happening between mind and body. I don't think there really is this like big separation that we kind of typically think of. They're so interconnected. They're like, they're two aspects of the same as opposed to being two different objects that are kind of in our like body slash awareness. Like they are the same thing. They're so connected and one influences the other and they're constantly having this two-way conversation. So that's the nervous system regulation side of things. Like as a recap, we optimize it and we feel better. Like our body is ready for this. Um, like our, uh, our nervous system pr- is primed and that means our kind of thoughts are more manipulatable, as I said earlier. <laughs> they're, they're like, they're within our control. It feels like they're a bit more pliable. Um, and then let's move on just a little bit. So if you're constantly if you're constantly feeling like the negative thoughts come in into your training sessions or just outside life, if you're, if you're living out this story that you kind of don't really want to be living out anymore. And if you're like emotions are like all over the place, the chances are 
that we've got some sort of story inside that we subconsciously believe that we need to rewire as well these two parts the the regulation and the rewiring they happen at the same time they kind of they're two legs of a three-legged stool that we're going to dive into a third one eventually but like these two they happen simultaneously and they build each other and this rewiring is the story that we believe like this is the next key step so we've once we started regulation next step is rewiring and these stories they they basically become our reality. We live them out. They are, they're truth for us. We act out the exact story that we know and that we believe is true. We don't act outside of it, outside of just luck. But like for the main part, our story influences our thoughts and emotions and our thoughts and emotions influences our behavior. And these are forms long ago in our past or through very emotionally charged situations and we we develop them because they kind of simplify the world if i believe i'm the type of athlete who i know if i believe i'm the skinny athlete who can't work hard and or can't lift heavy then i'm always going to act like the skinny athlete who can't lift heavy if i'm the kind of athlete or if i believe i'm the type of athlete who's always sad and low and, and lethargic then that's how i act until I free myself from that belief, which is not necessarily true, it may have elements of truth to it, but it's not necessarily true, then I'm not going to break outside of it. And this is where we have to go next. Once we've learned to regulate, we have to look at um, rewiring because these these beliefs, they're shortcuts of ways of acting. And they're mostly embedded deep in this emotional part of our brain that is outside of our conscious awareness outside of our conscious control and there's four things that create these evolution so kind of your your physiology um your biology your education what you've been explicitly told in the past your environment what you've picked up this is the most kind of insidious like you think about all the things you pick up and you're told and taught without even meaning to be taught like these these are the big ones um and then experience like what you've done this that's kind of failed and um, or succeeded in the past like that dictates who you become and actually i'm going to leave it there i'm going to jump into the next piece when it's appropriate um but khan let's um let's talk about the, the role identity has in rewiring the story that we believe yeah so i think um you could kind of look at like Identity as a concept is um, so many different schools of thoughts around it from a philosophical perspective up to what it is that makes us essentially us. And it's this kind of vague term that gets thrown around these days, particularly I use the word identity and the word the self interchangeably throughout this. So our sense of self could be our identity. But um, I think our identity is kind of, it's almost like what those stories that you were just talking about actually tell us we are so this kind of uh at the moment like with the world being the way that it is we're all online we're on social media we want to make ourselves or we want to make ourselves as easy to understand as possible for others but we want to be able to understand others really easily as well so we'll look at identity in these very kind of fixed rigid narrow um labels that will apply both to ourselves and to other people what that does is it helps us to first of all consume the sheer volume of information about people that we're presented with each day because it's quite a lot when you look at how many people we follow and secondly to kind of try and position ourselves in the world because that can be a bit confusing at the moment so when we talk about identity there's five key takeaways that i want you guys to kind of get out of uh today 
I'll give you them at the start here just so you can apply them as I'm kind of talking. The first is that our identity is a roadmap, not a destination. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but thinking of our identity is this kind of fixed label that mean that dictates um, how we should behave versus looking at our identity as kind of like a guiding like a guiding system for how we want to behave is a very different thing and we'll talk about that in a bit. So identity is also fluid, it's not fixed. That means that we can kind of at any given moment change our identity. And then on from that, who we think we are shapes what we do. So who we think we are being what we believe to be our identity will shape how we behave, how we feel, how we respond to things significantly more than uh, things like, let's call it motivation or, um, you know, potentially what we believe to be the right course of action is who we think we are is going to guide that a lot more. Then the fourth one is we are our own best and worst judges of character. So we'll go into a little bit more about that later. Tom mentioned before stories And I believe that we are master storytellers both to ourselves and to other people. Those stories that we tell ourselves, we may think that we're the best uh, authors of our own story because who knows us better than we do. However, there is a tendency for those stories to become a little bit mixed up and I'll go into that detail a little bit later on as well. Lastly, and this is kind of a fun little thing that we'll talk about at the end is having multiple identities can be a superpower, not a form of insanity. So the idea that there is this one overarching authentic self that we need to just behave in accordance with in everything we do i believe is a super duper limiting way of looking at identity and a little a very limiting way of looking at ourselves as as these kind of wild multi-dimensional human beings and i think when we if we can break away from that there's a hell of a lot of actual literature out there that talks about this which we go into we can actually unlock up uh, a lot more potential for us to excel in multiple areas uh, of life as well so yeah i believe our identity can su- be summarized as an amalgamation it's kind of like the combination of our most stable values beliefs desires and goals right? So when we combine those four things, particularly, uh, then we can kind of create this sense of identity. So it's influenced, as Tom touched on, by things like biology, which is just the physical elements that make us up, like how we are, you know, how we exist physically in space and time affects the type of person that we are. If I'm, there's all sorts of things going to that. Our psychology, now that includes things like our temperament and also more than anything else, our personality, Now, we don't have anywhere near enough time today to dive into the depths of personality psychology, but if you're going to figure out, if you really want to get to know who you are, understanding your personality and understanding the type of person that you are is probably is so fundamental to that because it's going to help you not only better get to know yourself and how you best uh, operate and function within the world, it's going to help you understand other people as well. So before you guys go out there and do these wild uh, INFJ, uh, whatever it is, personality tests, the big, the, the gold standard of personality testing is what's called the Big Five. So, um, if you look up anything to do with Big Five personality testing, you'll find a myriad of different uh, of information to start with, but also different courses that you can do to get a really good in depth look at what your personality is. Highly recommend that, uh, and I highly recommend spending a bit of time getting to do that. It's something that you can do in your own time outside of this um, that will 
yeah, have tremendous benefit to you uh, performance-wise, but also just like in your day-to-day engaging with other people. Um, it's a huge one, personality. And then our history. So history is basically like Tom kind of spoke about before, our upbringing, things that have happened to us in the past, the culture that we exist in. So, I mean, I'm not sure where everyone here is from, but I know even there's just <clears throat> vast cultural differences between how we're raised as young Australians to how you would be raised to say, a young American in certain parts of America. We have different values that are instilled into us societally and how we are told, what we're told is kind of right, wrong, good, bad, and how we should live has such a profound impact on how we perceive ourselves to be. And then our families obviously along that. And that's kind of a good segue. Those external influences like our culture and society is kind of a good segue into one of the issues that we come across when it comes to having a clear sense of self and a clear identity. So in psychology, there's this concept called cognitive dissonance. And what cognitive dissonance is, it's the kind of mental discomfort that arises when we hold a certain set of values and beliefs and yet multiple sets of values and beliefs that maybe contradict each other and then behaving in a different way. So then if you've got, if you believe uh, X to be correct, so if you believe that it is wrong to steal, let's go, but you just can't stop stealing. You're a kleptomaniac. There's a little, someone's left their purse there. You just can't help you pinch it, right? Don't do that. It's not great. Don't recommend it for everyone. However, what's going to happen is you're going to steal that purse because you want it. You're going to feel bad afterwards. What that's called is cognitive dissonance. That's that feeling of kind of guilt or like, hey, my actions didn't align with my values and that repeated misalignment of values and actions is going to cause that mental kind of um, discomfort. Now, how are we going to see that present itself within the context of performance is particularly what, what I've found to be particularly common is when people are pursuing a goal, but they're pursuing it because for reasons that they believe to be why they want something but it's not actually aligning with what they deep down inside really want for themselves. So I'm going to use a story. I love story time from my own experience as an athlete to kind of illustrate that point. So when I was younger, I had I always struggled with fitting in, with finding my place within the group, with feeling like a bit of an outsider, with feeling like I had a very clearly defined role within the kind of people that I was around. And I think part of that came from just the fact that I had such a wide variety of different interests, a wide variety of things that I liked to do, and also just generally being a more anxious human being, overthinking otherwise benign scenarios and probably talking myself into feeling out of place when I didn't need to. Um, when I kind of found CrossFit for the first time, I was working as a journo, which I enjoyed, but my and then that job was kind of fell through and I was kind of just floating through life. I'd had a bunch of different jobs in a short period of time. I was studying and then I stopped studying and then I started studying again and I was a bit all over the place in terms of what I was doing with myself and with my life. So then enter CrossFit. There's this awesome thing that I'm really enjoying training and doing for shits and giggles recreationally start to try and want to compete in that, do a couple of competitions, do really well, uh, end up qualifying for regionals, do really well there. And then 12 months after that, qualify for the CrossFit Games for the first time. So all of this happened from falling in love with CrossFit to becoming, I guess, uh, one of the best in the world at it, took place over a course of about 18 months for me. And in that 18-month period, and so with that qualifying for the Games, which kind of came out of nowhere for the first time, all of a sudden I had this really cool thing that I could be, that I was, this I, this new identity, a CrossFit Games athlete. Now, 
I was take I took that identity and what I kind of what the problem with that was I became so attached to that role to being a CrossFit Games athlete and I thought okay well what does rather than kind of exploring what does that mean to me and why did I value that I tried to think of well, what do other CrossFit Games athletes do uh, they're doing this and they're like they're super duper like stoic hardworking, committed to all this kind of stuff and I became so attached to this identity and to the sense of self-worth that came with this label that it kind of drove me mad to the point where if I, I became so consumed by the idea that if I wasn't still just becoming a games athlete, I didn't make the games again every like year after and year after, that that would somehow completely shatter my sense of self and I would no longer have this identity, which had so much value to me. But I had no idea why it held so much value to me. I never stopped to think about why did it mean so much to me to be this thing. It was just, I am this thing. And this thing is now a part of who I am. So I need to kind of continue to be that. Anyway, fast forward to 2017. It was that I kept making the game. 2015 made it again. 16 made it again. Um, and then 17, I missed out for the first time sort of in three years since I first made it. And with missing out came this whole kind of like it did. It shattered this kind of this role. It got rid of this kind of sense of self that I'd attached myself to so um, so like kind of aggressively to the point where, you know, I, I wasn't really sure who I was without this role. And what that did was it forced me to then go back and start to look at, well, not necessarily what, like what, like why I cared so much about that. What was it that I as a human being was able to do? What values were I able, was I able to kind of act upon through the platform that being an athlete gave me, through the opportunities that being an athlete gave me? Because that title itself was awesome. But it wasn't in that title necessarily that I was deriving value, that I was creating meaning in my life. And so what I had, I had to look at that idea of, you know, how could I, how could I find value? How could I find purpose? And what, what did I really care about other than just that label? And that was this whole journey for me. And that was where I sort of really started to get interested in things like psychology because, you know, I found that through the process of being an athlete, there was a really cool uh, – opportunity for me to explore my psyche and to explore my like to explore what it means to be human and to pursue goals and to overcome adversity when you have a bad performance and stuff like that and what did I learn from those experiences how could I apply that to the rest of my life and so that yeah that kind of helped me to become more aware of less the the that fixed identity and that's what I mean about identity being a roadmap, not a destination, and more about what I could kind of, what values I could kind of live in accordance to. What sort of things could I do that weren't necessarily outcome-based that I could implement into my life? And so with that, so I guess we go back to then how that influences a performance and why that's important. So I'm not sure if any of you guys have read the book um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's a really, really well-known book. Um, about kind of habit formation. He has this awesome section in there where he talks about three different levels of habits. So habits that get us, that move us towards an outcome. So outcome sort of is being the outer level. And that's the things like, I want to lose 10 kilos. I want to qualify for the CrossFit Games. And it's awesome to kind of pursue things like that because obviously we all have outcome-based goals that we want to live in a court that we want to get. But to be able to pursue them, there's a lot of external influences on our outcome-based goals that are going to make them hard for us to kind of 
approach. Next to that is our process-based goals. So they're the things that we can do that are controllable things that we can do on a day-to-day basis that moves us towards our outcome-based goals, make the CrossFit Games and all that kind of stuff, but that ultimately we're within our control and that we can use to form habits. Below that is our identity goals. And that's basically how, who we, this is what I mean, who we perceive ourselves to be will ultimately influence what we do. So a lot of people, when I'm asked questions about uh, in sort of an athlete group or a seminar, the people talk a lot about motivation. What motivates you? How do you stay motivated? And at the core of that is our identity. How, who I perceive myself to be is the ultimate form of motivation for me to stick to those process-based goals and then from there move towards the outcome-based goals. So my motivation for me to sit there and be like, I want to make the CrossFit Games that's that's all well and good, but when difficult things arise, like when uh, the opportunity to go out and have a good time arises, will I kind of adhere to that? Am I the type of person that wants to balance things where balance is important in my life? And if balance is an important value in my life, how do I then create processes based on that that allow me to incorporate that balance into my life and then still be moving towards my ultimate goal of going to the CrossFit Games? And that's what I'm. That's where it comes down to when we speak about we're the own uh, best and worst authors of our lives. That's where it comes down to understanding what it is that you truly want. And that comes to self honesty and self awareness, which we'll talk about. But with those identity based habits, like a, a really good example from my own life in how who I thought myself to be was actually limiting what I wanted. Was I always used to consider myself to be uh, like the party guy? Like I'm always in any social situation, and it still happens now. If I go and I meet people, the first thing you know, a lot of those people will do is like, "Let's get a drink, let's go out." Oh man, I want to go for a beer and all that kind of stuff. And it took me removing myself from an environment in which I was exposed to people like that to actually understand that whilst I do enjoy going out, I do enjoy um, having a good time being so anchored in that identity and being so kind of attached to being that type of person was actually not allowing me to move towards those higher level goals. So it was not allowing me to stick to the processes that I needed to follow to get to my ultimate goal of going to the CrossFit Games and doing well. So it took a complete changing in my identity into how I viewed myself, which takes a shit which took a lot of self-awareness and that's something that you'll you've heard Tom talk about uh just before you're saying how aware everyone is and I think awareness is kind of like I mean awareness is this is the is the first step towards healing in any aspect and, ch- and towards change in any aspect um being aware that what you're beha- like the type of person you believe yourself to be isn't actually helping you and so yeah that kind of that shift in identity was then what was able to kind of help me shift my processes. I pick uh, events that are of importance where you can have more than a few drinks. Otherwise limit yourself to a couple of drinks at social events, still go to the social events, but limit yourself. So then you know that you're able to train the next day. You're able to stick to your routine because you know that you are your best self when you're in routine, et cetera, et cetera, moving towards those goals. And so kind of leads to like that self-awareness. One of the biggest difficulties that we over, that we come across when we're trying to become more self-aware is our ability to be honest with ourselves. And that's that idea that we're the own best and worst authors of the best and worst kind of people that understand um, ourselves. So one of, there's a lot of kind of pop psychology, little catchphrases and sayings that I'm not a huge fan of. One of them is to always trust your gut. I might ruffle a few feathers hearing that, but hear me out. 
if I was to always trust my gut, there's a good chance I wouldn't even be here today. And that's because I have anxiety. I've had depression before. And my gut instinct, the thing that's in, within me, has guided me towards doing some pretty terrible things to myself at points in time. So always trusting your gut is to neglect the complicated way that our brain is able to lie to ourselves and to create these stories is that first and foremost, often try to frame us in a positive light. We need to think positively of ourselves, even though we may not all the time. We kind of want to create a cohesive narrative around who we are and how we exist in the world that allows us to kind of keep moving forward. And we need to feel like we're not complete and utter terrible human beings because we're a social species and we want to be able to feel like we're a part of the group that we're in. But one of the things that our brains are really good at is using these things called cognitive biases. So you might have heard of a few of the real popular cognitive biases, so confirmation bias, for example. So our brain is more attracted to information that reinforces its current beliefs. So what we see, and unfortunately, technology just exacerbates this because we exist in these online spaces where we typically follow people who think and feel the same way that we do, and then these algorithms, they see us engaging with this content that reaffirms the things that we already believe, and it keeps us kind of locked into this perpetual confirmation bias cycle where all we're seeing is stuff that reaffirms our beliefs, even if those beliefs are negative, even if those beliefs make us feel like what we value, uh, we need to value these things that we don't because society says that that's good. Second, another one is the hindsight bias. So our ability to, uh, we always kind of think back on things and it's our mismatched way of doing that. Uh, anchoring bias, if we don't know a lot about something, quite often the first piece of information we hear about that thing is the thing that we'll attach ourselves to. So if I don't know a lot about um, anxiety and the first thing that I've told about anxiety is it's just people that worry too much, they need to get over it, probably going to anchor myself to that and that's going to keep popping up in my head anytime I start to encounter anxious thoughts. We've got a misinformation effect. This is a cool one. So when we recall situations that have happened in the past, our brain will change how we actually remember that based on information and pieces of information that we hear prior to, uh, sorry, following the event. So if something happens, let's say, um, let's say I have a really negative experience with someone at a CrossFit event. I go there, I don't really enjoy hanging out with that person. Then all of a sudden, you know, everyone I speak to after that, just in conversation, happens to say, hey, what a great dude this dude is, and all of that sort of stuff. My memory may actually change from it being a negative experience with this person to, oh man, remember that time that I met so and so and I was just really tired and grumpy, and oh man, I hope I didn't kind of come across as an asshole. My memory will change based on the information that I get afterwards. The active observer bias, which is our ability to attribute, um, Anything that we do wrong is tip where we attribute someone else does something wrong. We usually say it's a judge. We judge their character for it. They did that because they're a bad person. They did that because they're stupid. They did that because they're out to get us. Versus when we do something wrong, we'll often find some sort of external circumstance that's the influencing factor there. Oh, we did that because we were super stressed by someone else. We did that because we hadn't slept enough the night before. We were hung- we were hangry. Don't like the people we are when we're hangry. These are all, and the self-serving bias as well, which kind of flows on from that is our ability to credit our, we credit ourselves for our successes. So I did well because I worked hard and we tend to kind of blame external circumstances for our failures. I did terribly because shit programming for me in that competition. So you can see with all of these things, like these are all things that are happening and these are, they're only a 
handful of, you know, 30-odd cognitive biases, I think, that exist in the world that have been kind of documented. These are only a handful of ways that our brain creates stories that actually kind of trick us, that sort of show us a misrepresentation of what's real. So the antidote to that is, of course, to become more self-aware, to start to spend time doing that. So the tools that I like to use for that are things like uh, so meditation. Now, meditation is an interesting one because it gets thrown out there as people think of meditation purely from that mindfulness perspective. And if that works for you, that's awesome. Something that I believe is meditative for me is going for a drive. I like to go for a drive and listen to music, go for a ride on my motorcycle, go for a walk in nature. Any kind of activity that just allows you time to be with yourself, I would call, I would consider to be meditation of some description. What that does is it allows you to build a relationship with yourself. It allows you to be with yourself and your own thoughts. Now, as we kind of go deeper down the rabbit hole with meditation, you can get into some techniques that help you better, I guess, process your thoughts and help you become less judgmental of them. But just simply spending time with yourself is going to give you a good base upon which to start looking, like figuring out who you are at that core with those values, beliefs, all those things that we spoke about that make up your identity. And second to that is journaling. So I think Tom said we're going to do some journaling later. And with that journaling, um, one of the cool things about writing is it forces you to organize your thoughts. So when you're writing, when you've got thoughts in your head, they were around at a million miles an hour, but putting them out on paper forces you to give them a form of cohesion, forces you to kind of make sense of those thoughts in a way that you can put out there into some sort of cohesive structure and then read back in the future. So when I write, often I write as if I'm speaking to someone else. Even if I'm not, it's often done in a way that's, I journal in a way that if I was to read this to someone else, would they then understand what I'm thinking? Would they then understand how I'm feeling? It doesn't have to be that it's sent to anyone else and you don't have to write like that. You can write for yourself as well, which is a beautiful thing. But I just find that by doing that, it helps me become more systematic with how I kind of articulate those thoughts and feelings. And through that systematization of thoughts, I'm then able to better analyze them myself. So yeah, that was uh, really a lot of information about um, identity. But you can kind of see that it really is the core, like that self-awareness and having a clear sense of who we are really, in my opinion, underpins all of our kind of progress and all of our, well, our ability to progress as human beings, as athletes in whatever you want to pursue, because it's, it's, what's, it's what gives you a direction. It's what navigates you in the right way. Yeah beautiful dude there's so many like i i took so many notes throughout all of that um one one killer quote who i believe myself to be is my ultimate source of motivation like that's that's uh yeah you nailed it exactly and there's so many cool points like um one thing that i want to kind of double out down, down on is like that cognitive distance that kind of like pain and discomfort that you feel when you do something that you don't that you consciously don't want to do that is your key like that is your clue like that's like the indication like there's a belief that's a story that i need to rewire there's an identity piece that i need to work on and anisa sorry if i'm saying your name incorrectly but like your your message there like that's a very good point so in order to find that identity there's a lot of stripping off and putting on things we find along the way whether that's negative or positive but it helps us grow and become more grounded like that's exactly it. it's like it's this testing and that's the first step of changing of like this process here that, that khan's talking about through identity it's like testing what's the story creating a vision that's off, like in opposition to it and trying that out. So aiming up, 
creating presence like that's what karma's talking about in meditation but also the journaling that you bring to mind the kind of um it's not tradition the traditional view of presence but more like the the awareness again like you're catching those patterns that you're seeing and then proof like doing things that challenge that story and see like a reinforcing new story and seeing how that fits in um yeah brilliant dude love that rachel is there anything that you wanted to ask ads like contributes that um, you're gonna have to unmute first yeah thank you um kind of really appreciated that thank you it was really um super in-depth um amazing you know one of the um cognitive biases that we think a lot about in um in mindset work is negativity bias which is the um belief or it's not a belief it's a um our brain will remember negative events much more quickly and more in depth than it will remember positive events so negativity bias is one of the main reinforcers of those beliefs that uh, Khan was talking about. So um, later when we get into like tactics, I'm going to talk a little bit about an exercise to help combat negativity bias. Sweet. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Just saying, uh, just saw Caitlin's question there in the question box about tying identity to confidence. And that was a good little prompt for something that I did forget at the end. And that's the idea that we can have multiple identities. So there's a brilliant book out there called Your Symphony of Selfs. Highly recommend having a look at that. And it's um, it takes the idea that we can have different identities for different things that we for the different types of roles that we play. So one of those for me, I have a very I have a, an identity as an athlete that's very different to my identity as say a partner or my identity as say a um, like a student or someone that's just learn. There's so much literature out there that kind of puts like multiple identities is shown often in film and stuff as like a, like it's some sort of psychological defect, but we like, we act in different ways in different scenarios all the time. So another one of those things is like how we do anything is how we do everything. I don't necessarily believe that. And so when it comes to confidence, I'm not an overtly confident person in day-to-day life. I am there are certain there are certain things that I will exude confidence, and because that is a part of the identity that I've created for myself as an athlete, as a uh, in, in a few different areas where I'm like I am quite confident, and so I work that into being a part of those identities for me. So with that, I kind of it's a combination of understanding what I know works the best for me and figuring out how can I manufacture that what not manufacture that confidence. How can I anchor myself to, you know proving that identity and that's something that james clear talks about is we need to how you work on your identity is you prove it to yourself you prove to yourself that you are that person and so when it comes to being confident it's as simple as kind of finding scenarios in which you did do something really really well in which you're able to recall specific instances in which you are and when you're feeling like not confident, you're tr- you draw you go back to those experiences. Go back to think about, oh, hang on, what about the time I did X? Or hang on, what about the time I did Y? So you're proving to yourself that confidence is a part of whichever one of those identities you're trying to work on. So it can be, yeah, these kind of feelings that we want or these these character traits that we want. Um, it's it can be really really good to kind of yeah to practice proving to yourself that they are a part of who you are. Someone just asked what the authors of that book were called. It's James Fadiman and Jordan Gruber. Nice. Nice. James Fadiman Gruber. Yeah, like your point about reinforcing 
those stories like absolutely this is why we do we've got a tool um because we love a pun amwap as many wins as possible at the end of the day write down anything that you did that took you towards your goal and made you feel good but also anything that reinforced the identity that you think is going to be most useful to you at that point so if you're working on confidence and you display these tiny little bits of confidence throughout the day write them down like spend time recapping at the end of your training session too like what did you do in that training session that was good that moved you forwards and that was displaying the type of identity that you think is like the type of identity you do and every time you do that you're carving a neural pathway you're literally myelinating that pathway so it's more likely to fire under those times of duress so like when you need it it's going to be there rather than having to like think about it logically and then you'll just fall back into your old pattern. So right there, we've got like the two most fundamental parts of the RRP method. We're going to regulate our nerve system so that things are a bit more pliable, so we're in a good place, so we have a better perspective on our on our, our kind of better better perspective on our awareness and our mental emotional state throughout the day. And then we're going to work on those stories too. Like the second leg of that story is like, what are the stories that you believe? Um, what's your identity in this? What's the narrative? Like, what are you telling yourself? When we're working on those consistently, what we find is just like this huge growth. It's not like you're forcing yourself along, but it's like you've taken your foot off the brake. It's like you're allowing yourself to perform. You're allowing yourself to move forwards. When you're doing that consistently, chances are you find that your performance in the gym is going to improve. Your performance in competition is going to improve. Your performance in whatever you care about in life starts to improve. But that ultimately gets to a point where it plateaus a little bit or you're still seeing these kind of stories show up or these lack of regulation clues turn up and it's like maybe your mindset's still holding you back and you you know that your mindset is still not your greatest strength and despite doing the regulation work despite doing um the rewiring work you're feeling this kind of limitation come up and you know there's something else you need to do and that is where we go next to like the perform, what we call perform. So RRP stands for regulate, rewire, perform. Now we're on the performance aspect. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Limitless Athlete Podcast. To find out more about how you can train your mindset, make sure you head to our Instagram, which is MindsetRx, so MindsetRxD, or find me on socials, which is Tom Foxley, F-O-X-L-E-Y. And I'll speak to you soon, team.